Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, last week we kind of gave an introduction to the book of Romans, and uh, today we're going to build on that a little bit. The title of the message this morning is The Wrath of God Upon a Pagan World. The Wrath of God Upon a Pagan World. Many people have asked a question over the years and over the centuries, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? The simple answer is, and though we could get all technologically involved in study, doctrine, and theology, but the very simple answer is this. Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. In fact, we looked in the introduction of Romans chapter 1 that man has no righteousness of his own. God's Word is clear about that. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 says, that we have no righteousness of our own. Not just a little bit, but we have none. And being found in Him, having my, not, not, not having any of my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We have no righteousness of our own. So there is nothing good within us that would validate or would allow us to in some way, shape, or form pay a price for our own sin. We cannot do it. It doesn't work that way. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, a very familiar verse, it reminds us that all our righteousness, any righteousness that you do have, any goodness that you might have, is as a filthy rag. I don't want to get gross or anything, but if we understood what that filthy rag is, In fact, a friend of mine shared that in a message last week, and a couple of people got upset with him. Do you understand it's a bloody rag that women would experience once a month? That's what our righteousness is described as. And when you think about that, it's as a dirty menstrual rag. He says, there's really nothing good about you. And yet we live in a world that says, look at me, I'm number one, I can do this, I've got that, I can go here. It's not about what we think we have or what good we think is in us. Because really, when it comes down to it, there is none. There is none. According to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned, and what? Fall short. There's nothing you can do in and of yourselves to merit salvation in Jesus Christ. It's in only what He's already done for us. And in this next text of Scripture, we'll see an example of God's wrath in a pagan world. And can I just say this? Even though we're talking about Romans chapter 1 hundreds of years ago, it's not much different than today. It's really, really not when we think about it. Some people say, well, it's contradictory to think that a loving God or a righteous God is also a wrathful God. How can a God who is truly a God of love, how can He display wrath? That's incompatible. No, it's not. It's completely compatible because God is a just God. We forget about His justness. We forget that God is a God of equity and and wise judgment. If He wasn't, He wouldn't have sent His Son to die on a cross. But He is a gracious God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-7 through seven says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, because of these things. These things. These things that this world is born into. These things that they engage in. These things that define them. 
the world apart from Christ. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. I love that past tense because if we have a past tense, if we know Jesus Christ, we have a past tense and that means we have a story that God has given us. That God has changed our lives. He didn't leave us in that sin to die and spend eternity in hell, right? Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about that. God gave us justice. God gave us judgment. And yet He gave us love and grace and mercy in all these areas. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see that there is a wrath that is already given. That we're already under. I shared a couple weeks ago, there was that YouTube video posted around about the young man who who was asked a question, why would a just and loving God send people to hell? And he says, well, wait a minute, God would never do that. The reality is that you're already on your way. Your ship is already going under. This ship is already sinking. It's going to the bottom. What Jesus Christ did came by and He offered a lifeboat. So whether you get on or not, that's another subject. But you're already headed for hell because we're under the wrath of God. God is a God of grace and mercy. I want to read that first section in Romans chapter 1. And I want to read down through verse about 25. So verse 18, if you would follow along. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We're going to go on and see in verse 26 and in verse 28 again that God gave them over. And we're going to talk about it in just a moment. But let me just say as we look at this passage as it describes the pagan world, a world outside of Christ, a world that has not trusted in Jesus, this is what describes them. But just also remember that He is a God that is gracious and merciful because of His love towards us. Romans 5.8 says, In that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent His only Son to die on the cross to pay a sin debt He didn't know because we had a sin debt we couldn't pay. God loves us that much. Lord, I ask as we come before you this morning, I ask God that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, I know that even, because this was my thought as I was reading through this, Lord, it just sounds so morbid. It sounds so bad. This text of Scripture just sounds so hopeless. And it would be apart from your mercy and your grace and your love. But Lord, I pray that this message would give us a sense of urgency to truly do what we can do, to allow you to use us through the Holy Spirit's power to change the environment around us, Lord, one soul at a time. Lord, that we might share Jesus with them. Because, the Lord, we live in a world that requires urgency. And I pray, God, that we would live with that urgency. And may we see your hand at work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, first of all, we see the wrath of God upon a pagan world. And first of all, we see that in verses 18 and following. Unfortunately, these verses give us a pretty accurate portrayal of the sinful condition of the world without God. Now, you think about this. Um, as we've been watching the news and seeing different things that are taking place on the border, and you see different things that are happening, and just recently they found just a couple days ago a house that had over 80 immigrants in it that had come across, and they were using them for sex trade. They were using them in trafficking and so forth. You say, why would they do that? Because that's the world apart from Christ. A world apart from Christ is all about number one, making sure that number one self is taken care of, making sure that the world revolves around me, that I get the most out of it, that I you know, am benefited the most by my, my actions and so forth. It's a selfish world that we live in. And a selfish world is deceived, self-deceived, if you will, by their own actions in thinking that they are better than they are. But it revealed, you see in, in verse 18, that God's wrath was revealed it is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. Two things about that verse here. Two words. Ungodliness and unrighteousness. First of all, ungodliness refers to irreverence. An impiety or a perseverance that is religious in character. That was something new. You know, I've read this passage a hundred times in my life, a thousand times in my life. I've read through this over and over so many times. But there's something I'd learned this week. Maybe as a reminder, maybe I've heard something about it. I'm not really sure. But it was something new that stood out to me. This whole definition of ungodliness in this passage, that third characteristic, irreverence, impiety, but number three, perverseness that is religious in character. Think about that. Perverseness that is almost religious in character. In other words, it's not just the fact that there's sinfulness. The sinfulness has become their religion. The sinfulness has become their God. The sinfulness is what they are living for, what motivates them, why they get up in the morning. This perverseness is a religion to them. That's what's wrapped up in this word unrighteousness. So as we go on, we're going to see that they knew the truth, they despised the truth, they rejected the truth. Why? Because that, they didn't want that truth. They wanted their own truth, which was actually involved in immorality and, and sinfulness, and that was what became their God. This ungodliness became their religiousness. It's what they lived for. Let me ask a question. Is that really so different than the world that we live in today? What becomes the gods? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Anything that we give more time and attention and energy to has a potential of becoming an idol in our life. Do not people have all around us idols that they're giving more time and attention and energy to than they are God and has become idols in their lives? And in doing so, they worship the creation more than the Creator. It's become what they live for. It's become what they die for. That's the world that we live in. That's ungodliness. Well, unrighteousness is a little bit different. Unrighteousness refers to the lack of right attitude and right conduct. So if you have a wrong God, you're going to have a wrong attitude and a wrong, wrong conduct. But these go hand in hand. But it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Number two, these men suppress the truth in righteousness. Once again, how can you associate righteousness with suppressing the truth? The only way you can do that is if the lack of truth or the sinfulness is your God. Think about that. It says they suppress the truth in 
unrighteousness. Yeah, they don't want to live for the right, what's right. They don't want to live for what they know is true. They suppress it. The whole idea of suppressing the truth is that they are pushing it down. We saw an example of this recently, and I'm not going to highlight the candidate, but you remember our last president when he made statements and all of a sudden Twitter shut him down, Facebook shut him down, Instagram shut him down, everybody shut him down. What did they do? They suppressed his voice. They made it so that he almost didn't have a platform for which he could speak to the world, his, his audience. Now, I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but what I am saying is this. That's what they were doing with the truth. They knew the truth, and yet they suppressed it. They shot it down. They wanted to make sure that the truth did not go forth, that it could not be proclaimed, that it could not be broadcasted. They stifled it. They were doing all that they could to make sure that the truth did not go forward. Their life, or what characterizes these men, is that they are men who hindered, resisted, stifled, and tried to prohibit the truth. Question, is that not taking place in the world that we live in? We're living in a world that does not want the truth to go forth. But we stand up for what we know is right. We stand up for what we know is true. We stand up for what we know is God's principle. This is what we stand on regardless of what the world may try to do or say. Here's something interesting. Verse 19. It says, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. They knew what was truth. God's wrath was justified, and man was deserving of God's wrath. They knew it and chose to disregard it. I was thinking about this this week just a little bit. All of us have had relationships that we've invested in. You've loved someone. You've cared for someone. And because of that love and care and concern for that person that you love, you have sacrificed. You have worked hard. And you've given of what you've earned. Maybe it's monetary. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's something sentimental. But for whatever circumstance... You love someone, you care for that someone, and because of it, you've been willing to work and sacrifice for that person. Can you imagine, now put yourself in this, because I'm sure all of us have experienced this one time or another, that work, that sacrifice, you gave it to someone and they're like, eh, big deal. Has anybody ever had that happen before? You've sacrificed, given something that you worked hard for that meant a lot to you, and it's just like, eh, they didn't really care, didn't see the value, weren't truly appreciative. How did that make you feel? These people knew the truth. They knew the sacrifice, if you will. Jesus. And yet, suppressed it. My, how that would break the heart of God. How that would break God's heart to see a people that He created a people that he designed, made after the image of his son, and yet rejecting him. Think about that every time we sin. Every time we take God's name in vain. Every time we do something that's selfishly motivated. It's like we're rejecting what God's truth is. These men suppress the truth. See, God's wrath is justified 
Man is deserving of God's wrath. But, I love this verse 19. Because what may be known of God was manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. The truth of God was manifested to them. And we know this, look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. God revealed Himself to a lost world. Let that sink in just for a moment. God revealed Himself to a lost world. He didn't have to do it. Can you imagine? Good night. Looking out there, he says, man, remember in the days of Noah, he says, man, the thoughts and intents of their hearts are evil continuously. Why did I do this? That's how I would think. You see everything that's going on, people shoving their fists in the heart of God, and they're just like, I ain't going there. I ain't doing that. Yet he loved us and continues to love us. And he revealed himself to a lost world. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. And then number two, being understood or perceived through creation, man's senses perceive God. Think about this. Think of the most beautiful place that you've ever been in this world. Maybe it's in the mountains somewhere. Maybe it's a lake with a beautiful sunset. Maybe it's on the ocean. I don't know. The most beautiful thing you picture you can in your mind come up with to know that God created that and man has to see these things and say somebody put this together to me it takes more faith to believe in a cosmic explosion than to just trust God's word and say he created it I used my son David in the first illustration first uh, service this morning he was talking to a gentleman from, uh, from Germany who didn't believe in God. And I don't know how he thought about this, but David said, give me your phone. He, the guy says, oh, there is no God. And David said, yeah, there is a God. He goes, give me your phone. And David took his phone and he took the battery cover off and took the battery out and laid the phone over here and took the case and put it over here and says, now put it back together. So the kid started to pick it. He goes, no, 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 you can't touch it. You have to put it back together. And the kid goes, well, how am I supposed to put, your, put my phone, how can I put the battery back in the phone and put the battery cover on and put it in a case if I don't touch it? Right. Look at creation. How do you think it got here without somebody putting it together? Somebody had to put it together. It didn't happen by accident. It wasn't some cosmic explosion that created this world that we live in. God's hand and His handprint is all over creation. And it says in verse 20, even His eternal power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. Man will never be able to stand before God and say, well, I didn't know you existed. The deepest, darkest, most farthest place away from civilization. Yep, without excuse. The one who has never heard Jesus, yep, without excuse. So how's that fair? I don't have to understand fair. I don't have to believe in fair. Life's not fair. Trust me. My job is to believe. God will handle the justice of everything else. It says they are without excuse. 
his eternal power and Godhead. And look what happens. Verse 21. It says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We see two things about man's rejection of God. Number one, it was deliberate. It was deliberate. They knew God, they would not acknowledge him. In other words, it was a choice. I know who you are, I don't care about you. I choose not to believe this. But you know the truth. I don't care, I'm I'm not going to acknowledge it. They knew the truth, and yet they despised it. They deliberately rejected it. And you know what happens? You see what took place in the text. Neither were thankful. You see, people who are not thankful reject the source of the blessing. Think about that. Rejection of God's blessing goes right hand in hand with unthankful. But not only was it deliberate, because they vehemently opposed the truth, their rejection was degrading. How was it degrading? Well, first of all, look in the text. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Let me explain that really, really simply. Word for word, they changed the glory of an incorruptible God. They took the divinity of God, the deity of God, and put it on the same plane as his creation. They put the same plane, the creation and the creator, no different, no greater than each other. Can you imagine? Once again, total disrespect. Total degrading. Their hearts were darkened. Their minds and hearts were darkened. Their foolish minds went astray. They were misguided. They chose not to comprehend what God was doing. And even was intelligible. Take your Bibles just for a moment and turn to Isaiah chapter 44. We talked about it Jeremiah chapter 10 a couple weeks ago. But look at, at uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 44, if you would, just for a moment. Follow along as I read from verse 9. You're going to see the result of this. Verse 9. And he talks about their foolish minds. And in Isaiah 44, it's talking about the foolishness of idolatry. Look at verse 9 and following, if you would. It says, Those who make an image, all of them are useless. And their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits them nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs work in the coals, fashion it with hammers, and works with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out one with chalk. He fashions it with plane. He marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man according to the beauty of man that it may remain in the house. And then he cuts down the cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak and secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he shall take, or for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and breaks, bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. 
He makes a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire with its half of it eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it makes into a god his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it. Prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know or understand, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And it shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall, shall I fall down before the block of wood? Verse 20. I love this verse. He feeds on ashes... A deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Think about that just for a moment. A deceived heart has turned him aside. These people were deceived. And he says, and he cannot deliver his soul. Nor say, is there a lie in my right hand? These people are deceived by their own will. They have know the truth and have rejected it. And they have put more faith, more trust, more confidence, more time and energy into something that was created more than the Creator. And in doing so, they were deceived. They became senseless. That's what the word I deceived means. It means senseless. It had no sense. What they're doing made no sense. So enter God's wrath, verses 24 and following. Verses 24 in our text is the first time you see that God gave them over. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the Creator, or the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. So God gave them over, or He gave them up. In other words, God withdrew His protection. God allowed them to suffer the consequences of their decision. Can you imagine being in that state? Where God says, you are defiant. You are doing your own thing. You will not heed truth. Therefore, if you are bent on doing this, you're going to do it. But you're going to suffer the consequences of your choices. In Acts chapter 14, verse 16, it says this, Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways? There will come a point where God says, if that's what you're wanting to do, if that's what you're wanting to do, go ahead. But you're going to suffer the consequences. In Acts chapter 17, verses 27 and, I'm sorry, 27 and 28, or 29 and 30, he says this, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by the art of man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The only way the wrath of God sidesteps man is through repentance. Otherwise, man will suffer the consequences of who he is. God is calling for repentance. Question, is that same repentance needed today? Yeah. We live in a world that knows truth. It's amazing. To me, it's amazing. If you ask anyone, well, have you ever heard that Jesus died on the cross? What's the pat answer most of the time? 
Yeah, the world knows about it, but do they believe it? Eh, it's good for you if you go to church. Eh, it's good for you if you, uh, you know, believe in that kind of thing. They know, and yet reject, and stifle, and put down, and as they say, to suppress. So God gave them over to their uncleanness. And uncleanness refers to shameful or disgraceful passions. We know what they were involved with. We know what they were doing. It literally means passions of dishonor. Passions of dishonor. And then we see again, verse 26. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. You see two things about this, these passions of dishonor. First of all, they were shameful. Shameful. Why? Because God designed a perfect creation, man and woman, to fulfill each other. In every way. And yet they chose to disregard what God had done to do their own thing. And secondly, not only was it shameful, it's unnatural. Several years ago, we had some friends came by our, our, uh, our house, and we'd known them for many years. And uh, they were homosexual in nature. And uh, it wasn't very long, I don't know, maybe an hour into the visit, where one of them said to me, he goes, you don't appreciate this lifestyle, do you? And I said, no, not really. It's not for me. And the next question was kind of in line with what I would have expected. Well, it's because you're a preacher, isn't it? No. I suppose one could probably argue that it plays into it because I study the Bible. But no, that's, that's, that's not all of it. Well, then what else could it be? If it's not because it's the Bible, what else could it be? Well, it's the second thing in the passage here. It's unnatural. Question. If I'm in that homosexual lifestyle, how can I produce a family? How? I can't. But oftentimes, there's a way to describe it. My wife is going to shoot me, but it proves the unnatural aspect of it. See, this woman, man, works. Woman and woman does not. Man and man does not. Unnatural. Take the Bible out of it just for a moment. Take the Bible out of it. God's Word says it's not natural. Why? Because God made a perfect design. God made a design that would produce family so that we could be fruitful and multiply. Not necessarily every one of us in this room born or predicted to have a child but to have a natural family, God designed how it would work. And that lifestyle does not allow for that to take place. Apart from man intervening. Apart from man doing something that is unnatural to produce what is natural. God designed a perfect way to do things. That goes right along with what he says here. If you're just for a moment talking to someone, it's unnatural. Take the Bible out of it. It doesn't work. But when you add the Bible to it, it makes sense. 
Because God is a perfect God. His creation is perfect. He says, I am a man in my image after my likeness. Isn't that right? God designed how a family should start and how a family should maintain. And the only way that a person in a homosexual lifestyle can do that is through unnatural means. Does it mean you hate them? No. Does it mean you don't love them? No. But God's word is still true. And it still, still is right. So it says here, God gave them up. Because what they were doing was shameful and it was unnatural. And God's word says it again in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 13, I mean Deuteronomy 23, verses 17 and 18, God's word over and over says it is not good. And if God says it's not good, guess what we should probably say? It's not good. But what God did say was good was when he made man and woman in his image. In fact, he said everything that he created was good, but you know what he said when he got down to man? It was, anybody know? Very good. Because God's plan was perfect. And not to harp on that, because sometimes preachers can say, well, see, this is just sinful, it's rotten, it's terrible, and God just hates it, and blah, 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 blah. Let me just say along with this, God hates all sin. All sin breaks the heart of God. I don't care if it's gluttony. I don't care if it's lying. I don't care if it's stealing. I don't care if it's homosexuality. View sin as God views it. Because it all breaks the heart of God. But in this passage, he happens to highlight that one. And what he says in verse 28. Oh, wait, let me go back to verse 27. He says at the end of the verse, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. I don't fully understand that. Can't find a lot of good commentary on that. Can't find a lot of good resources that explain that in great detail. But here's what I think. In that lifestyle, there are a lot of medical conditions for which the medical field doesn't have a whole lot of answers. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't the penalty of their error. Could be wrong on that. I pray God gives all medical situations a solution, but knowing that he is the healer, physically and spiritually. Isn't that awesome? God is our healer. And our faith and hope must be in him. But then he says one more time, a third time. So verse 24, he says, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Why? Because it was shameful. It was unnatural. They had passions of dishonor. In verse 26, for this reason God gave them to their gave up to their vile passions. And verse 28, he says it a third time. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't even want to think about it. They said, I don't even want to, I don't even want to pretend that there's a God out there. I, I don't even want to think about Him. In verse 28, he says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. says they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. 
He said, all these things are what you are involved with. They would not retain or even think about God in their minds. God gave them over. Basically, we could say they had a reprobate mind. And that is the idea of being disqualified or untrustworthy. They were disqualified because of how they were thinking, untrustworthy because they couldn't think correctly. God says that's the result. But notice verse 32. This is a harsh verse. It says, Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of, what's the word? Death. That's harsh. Woo! I don't want to think about that. But it says, knowing. Knowing. that I, This is what my lifestyle, my sinfulness, and my rejection of God, I deserve death. It says, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. He says, hey, I approve of anybody who thinks like me. Isn't that crazy? They literally literally said, I approve them, and I approve of other people who are doing them. It's just like they're shaking their fist in the heart in the face of God and saying, I don't care about you. Think about that just for a moment. Question. Does not this description of a lost pagan world Wouldn't you say in agreement to God that they deserve the wrath of God? We all do. Because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. God's word says there is none righteous, no, not one, save Jesus. If we all got what we deserved, that's why I prayed in the beginning of this message, God, help us never to take for granted your mercy. Because if you and I got what we deserved, we'd be no different. God in his grace and in his mercy, because of his love towards you and me, sent his son to die on a cross. To pay a sin debt he did not owe, because you and I have a sin debt we could not pay. There's not one of us that could earn our way to heaven. Not one of us who could earn a relationship with Jesus apart from putting our faith and trust in Him. I am glad that God is not only a God of wrath who will judge with equity and wisdom, but I'm glad He's a God of grace and mercy too because of His love. Amen? But for the grace of God would be you and I. But for the grace of God, we'd still be under the wrath of God. But when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, it changes everything. Amen? Let that sink in. That God revealed himself to a lost and dying world. Let that sink in just for a moment. That God loves you. You. Put your name there. God loves Nick. God loves Penny. God loves Jim. God loves you. And because of that, he extended his mercy and grace. This that we've been reading about describes the world that we live in. A world that despises who God is. 
A world that despises truth. And yet we have it. Amen? We know the truth. And God's Word says the truth shall set you free. Freedom comes through knowing Jesus. But what I find in Isaiah chapter 44 is that a world apart from God heads towards self-deception. Because the world thinks they're pretty good. They've deceived themselves into thinking that they're better than they are. They've deceived themselves into thinking, I don't need God. I don't need truth. I've got my own truth. I've got my own gods. I've got my own way of living. I've got my own way of thinking. And just because it's not the same as yours doesn't mean you're right and I'm wrong because I have my own. We need to get back to truth that does not change. This will never change. And I hope, if anything, that this message doesn't say, well, see, that's just the world we live in. I hope, if anything, the message like this says, well, I need to be more urgent about sharing my faith. I need to be more urgent about sharing truth. I need to be more urgent in running to God every day and saying thank you for forgiveness and grace and mercy. It's not like the, the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you I'm not as like these. No. We ought to be arguing amongst ourselves who's the chiefest of sinners. Who've experienced the grace of God. I hope it gives us a sense of urgency. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge every one of us not necessarily to look at others and say, I'm, not, uh, I'm glad I'm not like them, but to honestly be thankful and grateful for your grace, your mercy, the work that you've done in us to change us, to, to give us a new standing, to give us a new direction, to give us a new focus in life because of what you've done in us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us a sense of urgency for the world that we live in. But Lord, to wake up every day appreciative and thankful for what you've done for us. But for your grace, we'd be under that wrath still. But now we have a hope and a future in heaven. Eternity with our Savior one day. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for a simple moment. You say, Pastor, I, I almost forget about how gracious God is. I almost forget just how kind He is to me. God's challenged my heart this morning to live with urgency, to live with graciousness, to be appreciative for what He's done for me. God's challenged my heart this morning. Would you pray for me? You know, like that this morning. Yes, in the back, in the side, in the front, in the Mac middle, yes. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. God's challenged my heart this morning. Some things need to change. Maybe I need to gain that urgency. This is the world we live in. We don't have to conform to it, but we need to stand up for truth and righteousness with God's help. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. That's my heart. Yes. On the sides. Yes. Can I just challenge all of us? Many across the auditorium this morning have raised your hand. You're challenged. But don't walk out unchanged. What do I mean by that? Take a moment, however God has challenged you, and pray that back to the Lord. Say, Lord, you've challenged me in this area. Fill in the blank. I need to live with urgency. Help me to do that. 
God, help me never to take for granted your grace or mercy. God, help me to wake up every morning appreciative of what you've done for me. God, help me to realize your mercy, your grace daily. God revealed himself to a lost and dying world. Let that sink in just for a moment. God loves you that much. Lord God, I pray for each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Lord, just to say thank you for using your word to, Lord, just continuously challenge us to be the people you called us to be. Lord, help us never to take for granted all that you've done for us. Lord, you are gracious. You are merciful. You are wonderful, God. And thank you for all that you've done. May it be our heart's desire to, Lord, share the hope of heaven with others, to live with a sense of urgency in the day that we live. And we'll praise you for it, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.